surprise, it's me. What's funny is I was thinking about, in my family, every Sunday, there is great anticipation for the sermon. I'm not kidding. We love Jody, but it's probably not really anything to do with Jody. In my family, there's anticipation every Sunday for the sermon because of a rule that Janelle and I made for our boys because we wanted to encourage them to sing and participate when they know a song. But we found if they have gum in their mouth, they won't do it. And so we made this rule that you can chew gum when the sermon starts. (laughs) And so all throughout service, Josiah especially, you know, he's five, if somebody gets up here, if it's not singing, when someone gets up here to read a scripture, do the Lord's Supper thoughts, he'll look at you and say, is this the sermon? And you're like, no, it's not the sermon. And then finally, like, now I think they're getting to know Jody, where it's like when he steps up, it's like, sermon time, give me the gum. So, boys, you may eat, eat your gum now. It is the sermon. But anticipation is a funny thing, and this is really like a season of anticipation that we're in right now. With the holidays. I mean, I think all of us look forward to some part of the holidays, whether it's food or seeing loved ones or all these movies come out. I don't know, whatever it is, opening presents, there's anticipation. We look forward to it. We're eager for those moments to be with family and friends. And if you think back on this year, on 2017, all the things that you anticipated, The things you look forward to this year. Just do that with me now. Think back over this year. What did you look forward to? I know my boys count down the days to their birthday. I mean, their their birthday comes, and like the next day, they're like, so how many days till my next birthday? You know, we anticipate things. I anticipate the start of summer. That's a big moment for us with camp and everything. I also anticipate the start of football season. I love that time of year, and I love football. We anticipate so many things. And this year, 2017, you had a lot of things you probably looked forward to. But I want to ask a question that I think ought to cut to all of our hearts. How many times this year did you anticipate, did you look forward to the coming of Jesus? How many times during this year, the last 364 days prior to this one, did you think about, did you long for, Did you eagerly await Jesus' return? Why? Why do we look forward to Christmas? Why do we look forward to opening a present that's just going to fade away and in a month or two it's not going to be what it was when we first got it? Why do we look forward to these things like football season? There's nothing wrong with those things, but they are nothing in comparison to this moment when Jesus comes back. When our King, our Savior, returns, what an incredible moment that is. And that's a moment we should anticipate and we should look forward to. The return of Jesus is going to be amazing. Go to uh, Revelation chapter 19. I'm just going to read just a little bit about His return in this moment It's out there in front of us. It's going to happen. We know it's going to happen. We believe it's going to happen. We ought to be looking forward to it. Romans chapter 19. We're going to look at verse 11 through 16. I saw heaven standing open, and there before me was a white horse, 
whose rider is called Faithful and True. With justice he judges and wages war. His eyes are like blazing fire, and on his head are many crowns. He has a name written on him that no one knows but he himself. He is dressed in a robe dipped in blood, and his name is the Word of God. The armies of heaven were following him, riding on white horses and dressed in fine linen, white and clean. Coming out of his mouth is a sharp sword with which to strike down the nations. He will rule them with an iron scepter. He treads the winepress of the fury of the wrath of God Almighty, and on his robe and on his thigh he has this name written, King of kings and Lord of lords. Just imagine this moment when we hear these trumpets, and it's the real moment. It's not, I mean, it's the moment he comes back. What that will be like. What an amazing once-in-a-lifetime, once-ever moment that's going to happen. Why do we not look forward to this? And I just sat down and I thought about it. What's the answer to that? Why don't we look forward to it? I think fear. I mean, you read that, and that's pretty intimidating stuff right there. Maybe we're a little bit fearful. It's certainly unknown. I mean, it's like, this is out-of-this-world stuff. It's not your everyday thing that we're used to. It's, it's an unknown experience. So maybe that makes us a little bit, I don't know about that. Um, maybe we're attached to this world. We've, we've bought into the idea that this, this world's not that bad. Why, why would I want to see it destroyed? Um, I think for sure we've bought into lies from Satan. Perhaps we're concerned about all the people who don't know Jesus, who aren't his followers. Maybe, maybe that's a decent reason. Or maybe we're just too busy, too busy to just consider this moment that's only going to happen once. It's kind of out of this world, it's kind of unknown. Maybe it's a little bit scary, but we don't. And I feel like that's wrong. And when I was thinking about what, what could I talk about on the last day of the year, the last Sunday of the year, we hear sermons every week. Uh, we think about God. We read our Bibles all the time. What can be said to set us up to live 2018 with a different mindset? And this is what I thought of. What if we looked forward to Jesus' return and longed for it? I mean, got excited about it prayed for it to happen what what would that change in us i don't want to spend a lot of time talking about the reasons why we don't look forward to his return but i do want to note i think at the root of almost every reason we could come up with maybe other than the one about being concerned for the other people at the root of this is a lack of trust it's a lack of trust in god i mean if you think about it If you don't believe God is going to make good on his promise to save you, you don't trust him. You don't trust that he's going to do it. So while it may be scary or intimidating to think about, I mean, Jesus coming out of the clouds, and I mean, the armies of heaven following behind him, all these things, I mean, that's amazing. And surely we will drop to our knees and worship him in that moment. But if we don't recognize I don't have to be afraid because I know that guy. I know the one riding on that horse. That's my king. That's Jesus. That's my friend. It's my brother. He's the one that I have lived for. He's the one who shed his blood to forgive me for all the things that I have done wrong. And goodness knows I have done wrong. But I don't need to be afraid of this moment because I know Jesus. 
this disbelief, this trust problem that we're talking about, it sounds a lot like the Israelites. Think about it. God rescues them. He brings them. He promises, I'm bringing you to the promised land. And they get there. Let's go to Numbers 13 and look at what happened. We know this story, but let's just read it again real quick. Numbers chapter 13. So in Numbers 13, we know they sent out spies, and these guys came back. And this is what some of them said. The people, this is in verse 28 of chapter 13 in Numbers. The people who live there are powerful, and their cities are fortified, and are very large. And then skipping down, it says, uh, The land we explored... The land we explored devours those living in it. All of the people we saw there are great size. We saw the Nephilim. The descendants of Anak came from Nephilim. We seemed like grasshoppers in our own eyes, and we looked the same to them. They come back. They've been promised this land. God said, you're going to take it. You're going to do it. They send out these spies, and these men come back and say, man, I don't know. The people there are huge. They're giants. And their cities are fortified. They're very strong. You know the other thing I see about the Israelites that they constantly do the whole time God is rescuing them? They keep saying, and you know, Egypt really wasn't that bad. Like they keep coming back to like slavery. It wasn't that terrible. At least we were getting fed. It was known. They were used to it. There wasn't any unknown about it, even as bad as it was. And that's crazy. That's crazy to be promised these things. What do you think God thinks about them? Or that, what, do, what do you think he thinks about that lack of trust, this disbelief? What is his perspective on that? And we know how he punished them. But let's think about like what he had done for them and what he must have been thinking. So they're enslaved, and he sends Moses and Aaron. He does all these amazing plagues, which not only destroy the Egyptians' will to keep them enslaved, but it also shows the Israelites, I am God, I am powerful and mighty. Look at all the ways I have rescued you. And just as Matt read, you know, we have the, the, the night of the Passover happens. I mean, and they are saved. And now they're leaving, and they get to the Red Sea, and this is the first moment where they're like, hold on, we're going to die, Moses. Why didn't you just leave us alone? And he tells them, be still. And watch what God's going to do. He is fighting for you. See, God has got to be looking at them saying, What is the deal? Did you not see? Did you not see me? Did you not recognize all the ways that I am taking care of you? And will you just trust me? Trust that I will save you. And I will bring you into this promised land. And you will conquer those people. Go to Isaiah chapter 40. And remember here in uh, Numbers 13 that what these spies said is we look like grasshoppers in our own eyes and to these strong, mighty, powerful people. In Isaiah chapter 40, we get just a glimpse of sometimes these things that we think about. We see these big problems, and we only see it from our perspective. We forget to look with God's eyes. Isaiah chapter 40, verse 22 He sits enthroned above the circle of the earth, and its people are like grasshoppers. Those big giants that the Israelites needed to conquer, to God, they looked like grasshoppers. 
think we got to pause and just think about that sometimes with our own problems. The Israelites said, these people are too big, too strong. Their cities are too fortified. In Egypt, it really wasn't all that bad. Well, I want us to think about the lies that Satan is casting towards us. Because those right there, those words the Israelite spies spoke, those are lies. There's no truth in them. The people were big, but they were not too big. The, the cities were fortified. It was not too fortified. They didn't have to worry about those things. So if I think about the promised land for us, Jesus' return to take us to heaven, what are the lies that are being born out of this lack of trust, this, this lack of belief that Jesus, not that he's coming back, that God will actually do what he's saying he's going to do? See if any of these resonate with you. My sin is too great. My sin is too great. I'm just not sure I've done enough. Have you ever felt that when you think about this? Is there a little, little bit of you that's a little worried? I'm not good enough. Or maybe just a little more subtle. I just hope I've been good enough. I hope, I hope I've been what God wants me to be. And I think we've all struggled with this thought. This, this world, it's really not that bad. It's a pretty comfortable place in our country. We got it pretty good. These are all lies from the, the father of all lies, from Satan. We cannot buy into them. Because, and I, I, I think about my whole life, I've grown up in church. And I think the way we have presented salvation and the life that will follow our baptism I think that we've been so careful to make sure that we let people know once you're baptized, there's still things you've got to do. That we have made an eggshell situation out of it. That I can't walk around with confidence thinking about this moment when Jesus comes back because we have said this. Once you're baptized, if you will walk faithfully for the rest of your life, then when Jesus comes back. And there's some truth to that. There's things that we should do out of our love for God and out of the fact that we recognize our identity in Him. But we shouldn't walk through this life wondering if God is going to be faithful to His promises. I mean, really, like, let's stop this. This is, I don't want to say stupid, but I don't let my boy say stupid. <laughs> it's, not, it's not of God. He has promised us when He returns, He's going to call me by name. And he's going to tell me, good job, well done, enter in, come to the promised land that I promised you. And it's not because of anything you've done, it's because of me and my power, my spirit in you, and because of my son. So I want you to think about these lies. Our sin is too great. I haven't done enough. I'm not good enough. I sure hope I'm, I'm going to be good enough. And I want you to cast those out. Because that is not God's truth. So I think about this from God's perspective. What would he say about these lies? And I want you all to, to listen. Because I think God would look at you and he would say, I gave up my son. I gave up my son so that you could be my child. And you can rest secure that I love you. And I know you mess up. And I know you sin because you're of a sinful nature. You have flesh. You're still in this temporary world. But I love you. 
And I will not forget my promises to you. Go to Romans chapter 8. That's my words trying to say what I believe God would say. I want to look at Romans 8. And these are God's words. And I'm about to read a lot. I'll break in every now and again. Sometimes I feel like I you know, stress over what's just the right thing to say. And it's funny because it's right here. We just got to look at it. Romans 8, I'm going to start in verse 14. Try, as we're reading this, to put this whole thing in, in, in view of the context of Jesus' return and the excitement and eagerness we can await that because of the confidence we have. In verse 14, For those who are led by the Spirit of God are the children of God. That's us. The Spirit you receive does not make you slaves. So that you live in fear again. Can we get rid of fear? Oh, I want to get rid of fear. The spirit we receive is not one so that we live in fear again. Rather, the spirit you've received brought about your adoption to sonship. And by him we cry, Abba, Father. And the spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are God's children. If we are children, then we are heirs. Heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ. If indeed we share in his suffering, in, in order that we may also share in his glory. I consider that our present sufferings are not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed in us. For the creation waits in eager expectation for the children of God to be revealed. Again, that is us. For the creation was subjected to frustration, not by its own choice, but by the will of the one who subjected it. In hope that the creation itself will be liberated from its bondage to decay and brought into the freedom and glory of the children of God. We know that the whole creation has been groaning as in the pains of childbirth right up to the present time. Not only so, but we ourselves, who have the first fruits of the Spirit, groan inwardly as we eagerly await for our adoption to sonship, the redemption of our bodies. For in this hope we were saved. But hope that is seen is no hope at all. Who hopes for what they already have? But if we hope for what we do not have, we wait for it patiently. In the same way, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. We do not know what we ought to pray for, but the Spirit Himself intercedes for us through wordless groans. And He who searches our hearts knows the mind of the Spirit, because the Spirit intercedes for God's people in accordance with the will of God. And we know that in all things, God works for the good of those who love Him, who have been called according to His purpose. For those God foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son, that he might be the firstborn among many brothers and sisters. That's us. And those he predestined, he also called. And those he called, he also justified. And those he justified, he also glorified. What then shall we say in response to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own Son, but gave him up for all of us, How will he not also, along with him, graciously give us all things? Who will bring any charge against those with whom God has chosen? It is God who justifies. Who then is the one who condemns? No one. Who then is the one who condemns? No one. Who then is the one who condemns? No one. Christ Jesus, who died more than that, who is raised to life is at the right hand of God and is also interceding for us. 
Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall trouble or hardship or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? As it is written, for your sake we face death all day long. We are considered as sheep to be slaughtered. No, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from a love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Amen. I just read a lot. I hope that you grabbed hold of God's words, not mine. This is what he says. Who then is the one who condemns no one? Because Jesus is sitting right there, the one who died for us, the one who still bears the scars from his slaughter, and he is interceding on our behalf. We know him. He's our shepherd. He's our savior. He's our friend. He loves us. We need to get rid of fear because the spirit that we have been given is not one to make us live in fear, but of sonship and to be daughters, sons and daughters of the king. That is who we serve. So I'm going to ask us to do something a little different. And I didn't tell Tony. So Tony, right now, get out your Bible, and, or not your Bible, your songbook. Can you find It Is Well With My Soul? Everybody else, he'll tell you in a second what number that is. This is not the invitation song. I want us to sing this song with this picture in mind. We can be confident that God is faithful, that He is faithful to us, and He will fulfill His promises to us. And when He returns, though it is going to be a moment that we will drop to our knees, I mean immediately, it is one we can be confident in. It is one we can look forward to. And the reason is found in verse 2, which I would like to sing all three verses, by the way. In verse 2, my favorite verse. My sin, oh the bliss of this glorious thought. My sin, not in part, but the whole, all of it. Everything I've ever done, the things I'm going to do this next year that don't honor God, have been nailed to the cross. And His blood purifies me so that when He returns... I'm not wondering, have I been good enough? Have I done enough? I'm sitting there knowing that's my Savior, and I am pure, and I am clean and holy, and He knows me, and I know Him. So I want us to stand. What's that number, Tony? 490. You can grab your old school songbook. We're going to sing number 490, all three verses, and I want you to sing this like this is the moment Jesus is coming back. With all of your heart, especially that last verse, and then I'm going to come back. It's like a river attend of my way when sorrows like sea billows roll. Wow.
To close, before we stand and sing one more time, I want to challenge you to join me in doing something that maybe we don't do all that often. But I want to challenge you, and you decide the number of days, weeks, whether it's all year. I challenge you to pray every day this year that Jesus would return. Every day, Jesus, come back. I'm ready for you to come back and end this suffering. I'm ready for my new body. I'm ready for my new body. I'm ready for just to be with you, to be in a place where there's no more suffering, no more sin. You know, Rick Williams one time said, I think it was a communion thought, he said, there are no, sin, there are no sinners in heaven. There are no sinners in heaven. There's no sin. Don't we long for that? Let's pray for it. And if that thought of praying for Jesus' return brings up, I don't know if I can do that. I want to challenge you to think about why. Is your life, are you guilty? Have you not come and asked Him for forgiveness? Are you not walking with Him? Do you not know Him? Or is there someone in your life that you long for them to be one of Jesus' children too, God's children too? or if it's because you, you truly are concerned of all these people in this world who don't know Him, then I would just say, let's pray hard and let's get to work. 
Let's not wait. Let's live eagerly awaiting, anticipating, looking forward to the moment at these trumpets. Who knows what they're going to sound like? But when that happens, what an amazing moment it will be. Let us live every single day of next year longing, looking forward to that moment. And let's live out of that, the confidence that when he comes back, I'm going with him. Whatever happens in this life, it's okay because I end up with God in heaven. So I want to pray now for that, and then I'll offer the invitation. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, thank you for this church family. Thank you for all the days we've gathered here to worship you. I pray that as this year ends and we begin anew, Father, that we would have our eyes so clearly focused on you that we would dismiss these lies of Satan about us not being enough because we're not. (laughs) But it's not about that. You have provided a way just like you have for your people all throughout the Bible. And that way was your son. So let us not have a lack of trust in what you've done and giving him up for us. Please help us, Father, to just recognize how much you love us, that you gave up Jesus. Help us to not be afraid, but to look forward with hope. Father, to look forward with not a hope of like, I hope I'm good enough, Father, but the hope that knows when you return, we go home with you. Father, that we sit with you, we worship you there in heaven where there is no sin, where there is no death, no pain, no sickness. We long for it, Father, and pray that it would come soon. But whether it happens tomorrow, this year, or not until we're all dead, Father, I just pray that we would go about your work with confidence and with love for you. So please return, Father. Send Jesus soon. And as we wait, I pray we do the things that you've asked us to do, not out of fear, but out of love for you and a desire to honor you with our lives. Through Jesus I pray, amen. If you're here this morning and you don't know Jesus, I want you to know him. When he comes back, that's going to be the thing. He's either going to say, I know you or I don't know you. I want you to know him. If you want to get to know him more, if you want to study, if you want to be baptized and become one of his children, then you can come down here in a moment. For those of us who know Jesus, if you've been living in fear, if you have been one who can't think of this moment because of shame or guilt or because you've been harboring these thoughts of, I hope I'm enough, whether you come down front or whether you do it in your seat, I pray that you would just give that over to God and dismiss that lie of Satan and let us go forward as a family, as a church, and as individuals who love the Lord and trust in Him and His promises. Whatever we can do to help you this morning, won't you come while we stand and sing?